Uh, it's good to be here with y'all this morning. Thanks for joining us. Um, we're starting a new series, our Christmas series this morning, uh, and it is called All That Glitters, okay? And there's this statement that I got that from, and it goes like this. All that glitters is what? Oh, what is it? Not gold. Not gold. Ooh, not gold. That's right. All that glitters is not gold, all right? Um, so I actually thought it was gold, too, for a while there. It's okay, Nick. Um, but uh, just because something glitters does not mean it's gold, right? Uh, that's where that, where, where that comes from. Just because it looks shiny, looks appealing to the eye does not mean it's valuable. Um, and, uh, and so we're going we're gonna to get into why I'm, why I'm there, all right, what, what does that have to do with Christmas? Because that's not necessarily a, a saying that's specific to Christmas. Actually, I don't think it has anything to do with Christmas. Um, but I was thinking about Christmas and how we celebrate it, and one of the things that came to my mind was glitter, because if you've been around me very long, you know I do not appreciate glitter. I do not like it. Amen, that's right. It is nasty. It is disgusting. It gets everywhere. Um, and uh, like I said, if you've been around me very long, you know that that's, that's how I feel about it. I had a friend that we haven't lived at, camp, at Bethel Camp since 2013, but he sent me a, a message the other day uh, and with this picture, and it said, it's all that glitter, and he just said, hey, thought of you this morning. Um, Ruthie and I both thought of you, and, and we're wondering if you wanted some glitter. And I said, nope, I'm good, thanks, um, because I don't need it, right? I don't like it. Um, if I see a speck of glitter it always lands like on somebody's cheek, right? Or like on their lip or something. And you're just like, man, I was like, I wanna, I wanna reach out and get it because I can't handle it, right? I just, it just gets everywhere, okay? Um, and Christmas is a glitter holiday, isn't it? It is. Uh, we want everything at Christmas to be shiny and to be bright and to be sparkly. And if Jeremy was here, I would point to his sweater because I guarantee you he's wearing a, some, it might even be flashing, right? Um, because Pastor Jeremy, wears crazy Christmas sweaters. Um, but I was thinking about this Christmas holiday and how we celebrate the holiday of Christmas and how we decorate for the holiday of Christmas. And then I was contrasting that with the actual event of the birth of Christ, right? And on one hand, we have this bright and shiny and flashy and glittery sparkles everywhere, kind of an image of Christmas with how we celebrate it. And on the other hand, we have a dark, dingy, dirty, smelly stable with smelly shepherds. And, and, and yes, the angels lit up the sky and they probably had sparkles on them, right? Um, but that's not what the point is this morning, right? And I just look at those two things, okay? And I just look at those two things, um, and I say, all that glitters is not gold, right? All that glitters is not gold. All that is shiny and flashy and bright is not valuable. And the other side of that statement is true too. That all that is valuable is not shiny and flashy and sparkly and covered in glitter. And so I'm holding those two things, those two ideas, those concepts or pictures or whatever you want to call them. And I'm looking at it and, I, and, and it's like, well, something's lost here. Something's lost, right? Um, something's missing. And so I want to explore that in this series called All That Glitters. Now, I'm not a holiday Scrooge. I love Christmas. Uh, I, I love the lights, and I love the songs, and I love the presents, and I love Christmas cards as long as they don't involve glitter. Um, so I'm not squashing the celebration. 
it is a thing to be celebrated, right? There's a reason that all of everything that we have sparkles and glitters and because we're excited about it. Um, but I am very intrigued with the, with the contrast, with the contrast that we see there. The contrast of how we celebrate the holiday versus the circumstances of the actual birth of Jesus, this Messiah King who came to save and redeem humanity. And when I, I think about how we celebrate Christmas, oftentimes the thing versus the thing that was actually occurring on that day, that night, whenever it happened, feels a little glittery, right? Feels a little false or whatever. So I wanna start this series uh, this morning by talking about the, the story of the Magi, all right? Now, most of us know this story. The wise men, you might know the Magi, right? The wise men, um, the three kings, however you say it. Magi from the east. And, and these guys, uh, these Magi, with, we're not gonna go into every detail, but they travel to, to see this new king that's been born, okay? They see a star. They know something has happened in their life, whether it's a story passed down from Daniel, because Daniel was actually one of the Magi, right? And you follow all that, right? Um, but we're not gonna get into that. Um, but they follow this star, because they know that a king has been born. And where do they go? They go to Herod, who is the king of the Jews at that moment. And they say, hey, Herod, we hear there's a king been born. We've come to worship him. And, um, and Herod's like, huh, well, that's news to me. I didn't have any kids, right? And, uh, and it's not good news to Herod because if there's another king, well, that means he's, he's on the chopping block, right? Essentially. So, he sends the Magi on their way to Bethlehem where there has been a pro- it's been prophesied by the prophet Micah that this king would be born. And so they, he sends them there to see this child uh, and, and under the, the guise to say, when you find him, tell me so that I can worship him when we really know that really he's just after him to get rid of this other king, right? And so um, we're gonna pick up the story in Matthew chapter two, verse nine. We're just gonna read very little portion of it. So Matthew chapter two, verse nine, it says this. After hearing the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star which they had seen in the east went on ahead of them until it came to stop over the place where the child was to be found. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And after they came into the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary and they fell down and they worshiped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him presented to him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And after being warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, the Magi left for their own country by another way. So the Magi go and they visit Jesus, right? They bring him gifts. Now, in your head, what does that look like? Glitter. Glitter. Picture it for a second. Seriously, think about it. Picture it. Probably it looks something similar to this, right? Daniel said that looks very hallmarky, and it does. Actually, it looks very wax figurey. I'm not really sure where it came from. But anyway, something like that, right? Something similar to that, because that's kind of the nativity scene that we have in our, in our brains. Um, maybe not all of you, but some of you. Because that's the image we use to celebrate the holiday, Right? but I'm pretty sure that doesn't fit with the circumstances of what happened. Right. Just looking at the, at, at the picture, it's pretty clear that there's some assumptions that have been made based on tradition or whatever 
that we don't actually have text for in, within the scripture or that doesn't fit with what we have in the scripture. Um, so just a couple of things. Number one, the fact that they are presenting, uh, or that they're, yeah, they're presenting gifts to the infant Jesus. Infant Jesus, right? Um, chronologically, the Magi, this story is probably the last thing that happens in the whole Christmas story. Uh, and, and we're talking like up to two, two to three years afterwards, right? Two to three years after uh, Jesus is actually born. So they aren't, a, they aren't coming to the stable. In fact, it says that they should, when they came to the house, so they came to a house, not a stable, right? So they're, still not, they're not still in the stable when it happens. Um, and, and we also know that when Herod tries to get rid of this king, when he finds out the Magi weren't real honest with him and they just kind of went this other way um, because God told him to, he has every baby that's two years and older, every male two years and, or excuse me, two years and younger killed, gotten rid of right? So he knows, and he had consulted with them about like when the star appeared and all that, right? So, so it's, it's, we're talking two to three years. We're not talking a baby Jesus anymore. We're, we're talking about a toddler Jesus, okay? Another assumption is the fact that there are three magi in this picture. Um, we don't know how many there were. They had three gifts, but we don't know how many magi there were. We three kings, that's right. <laughs> sounds glittery. Sounds, sounds glittery to me. Sounds glittery to me, all right? Um, if I was traveling with gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh, precious oils, I'd have some bodyguards with me, right? I'd have some people along. They're bringing these gifts for a king, right? So let's also then think about, okay, if they're bringing gifts for a king, what kind of a gift do you bring for a king? Why are they holding like a little cigar box worth of a gift, right? You don't bring a small gift to a king. You bring big gifts to kings, right? If you're gonna honor a king, you bring big gifts. Um, and, and, and so I don't believe these were little gifts. If you look at another example from scripture, when the, the queen of Sheba comes to honor Solomon, King Solomon, she brings him gifts. So if you go to 1 Kings, Solomon, by the way, was the king of the Jews at the time, which Jesus is king of the Jews. So 1 Kings chapter 10, it says, Now when the queen of Sheba heard about the fame of Solomon in relation to the name of the Lord, she came to test him with riddles. So she came to Jerusalem with a very large entourage, with camels carrying balsam oil and a very large quantity of gold and precious stones. Very large quantity of gold and precious stones. How much gold and precious stones, you ask? Well, let's go to verse 10 in that same chapter. It says, then she gave the king 120 talents of gold. 120 talents and a very large amount of balsam oil and precious stones. Never again did such a large quantity of balsam oil come in as that which the queen of Sheba gave King Solomon. Do you know how much 120 talents is? Of course you don't because you didn't look it up. I did though. 120 talents is equal or is equivalent to 4.5 tons. It's a lot of gold. 4.5 tons, 9,000 pounds. With the price of gold today, that would be valued at $234,225,000. Just the gold, okay? It's a big gift. Now, I'm not saying 
that the, the wise men, the magi, we'll call them magi because they weren't wise men, the magi brought that kind of a gift, but you brought a big gift to a king, okay? If the point was honoring the king, you brought big gifts. It's not a small gift. So that's, that, that's what these magi are doing. They're, they know, all they know is that this is a king. They don't know Jesus is born to, uh, illegitimately to, to, to this Mary and this Joseph who didn't even have a place to stay when he was born. They didn't know any of that. All they knew was the king. So they're bringing gifts, okay? They're bringing gifts to him. And in order to bring a big gift, you bring a big posse, right? Lots of people, lots of protection. Those are just my thoughts, okay? I'm just, just picture it, okay? Those are just my thoughts. Now, all of that brings me to this question that I have about gifts that are brought to a king in the first place. Why do you bring gifts to a king? Isn't the king probably already the richest guy in the kingdom, right? Why did the Queen of Sheba bring all these gifts to King Solomon like, like, and pour out all of this riches on him? He didn't need that. He, wasn't, he was a king, right? Why do you bring big gifts to a king? I've always wondered about that. It, and I've always wondered the same thing with like celebrities today. Celebrities, when they go to restaurants, the owner of the restaurant comes to them and comes to their table and says, hey, hey, Shaq, don't worry about this. We got this bill. It's on the house. Why does Shaq get a free meal? Shaq could buy the entire restaurant. Shaq could buy the franchise, right? Why does, why does the celebrity get the well, How about the guy down the street sleeping on the park bench every night? He needs a free meal, right? So why not give the fancy, fancy first-class meal to that guy? And, and, and think about it. Who can use a, a $200 gift certificate more? Uh, Patrick Mahomes or the family who sleeps in the car every night, okay? So these gifts are not about need. If you bring a gift to a king, it's not about a need, or it's not even about the value of the gift. Jesus didn't need these gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh from the Magi. In Acts 17, Paul refers to Jesus as the God who made the world and everything in it. What need does the one who has created the entire universe need? He has no needs, right? No needs, nothing. This is that God. So these gifts can't be about need. Gifts were brought to a king not to meet a need, but in order to honor him, okay? That's what this is about. These gifts are about honoring the king in the purest form. Now catch that phrase because we're gonna explore this idea. But in its purest form, when gifts were brought to a king, it wasn't because the king needed them. It was because the people bringing those gifts wanted to honor the king. Amen. It was about bringing, uh, recognizing the greatness of the king and bringing him the best of what you had to offer because he was worthy of it. That's it, right? It's recognizing the greatness of the king. It doesn't have to do with, with whether he needs it or not. The most pure reason to bring a gift to a king is honor and worship. Amen. Honor and worship. And I think the Magi fall into that category. They came to worship, right? They came to worship. They were educated men. They were philosophers who probably knew some of the, the, the Hebrew prophecies 
and they recognized there was something great about this king, and so they wanted to honor and worship him, and so they went. It says, when they saw the boy Jesus, when they saw the young Jesus with his mother Mary, they fell to their knees and worshiped. That was what they came for, okay? And then they presented him with these gifts. That's the most pure reason to bring a gift to a king. It's to honor him. And I think that's what the Magi were doing. The problem is, and maybe I'm just cynical in this regard, but I believe Though that's the most pure reason, I believe that's the least common reason that people bring gifts to a king. See, people also brought gifts to a king when they had been conquered, okay? They brought a tribute to pay the tax, and it was disguised, I mean, it was, it was labeled a gift, but it wasn't optional, right? It was, it was you, bring, you bring the required tax or off with the head, Right? So you brought your tribute to this king when you're conquered. Do you see the difference? That's not a gift. It's not about honoring the king. That's an obligation, absolutely. It's a tax. And even though it's presented as a gift, it's actually a requirement because of subjugation, okay? It was a recognition of, okay, you win, I lose, here's what I owe you. That's the second kind of a gift you can bring to a king. There's also the kind of gift that we talked about uh, a couple of weeks ago with Jacob and Esau. When when Jacob was bringing gifts to Esau, he brought these gifts or he sent these gifts on ahead of him for one of two reasons that I can figure, right? One reason being, I'm gonna prove my worth. I'm not coming back to mooch off of you, Esau, right? I'm proving my worth to you. So here's this gift that I can afford to give. Okay? Or the second reason is um, to buy some favor. Okay? Yeah. Jacob literally said, I'm going to send these gifts ahead to Esau so that when I see him or when he sees my face, maybe he'll accept me or he'll look favorably on me. Okay? There's four reasons to, that, that somebody would give a gift to a king. And the most pure reason, we said, is honoring, right? but I think that's also the least common reason. I think most of us like to think our motivation is out of honoring, but I'm not so sure that's probably most of our reason. If we bring a gift to God, a gift to Jesus, all right? I don't think he really desires it for any other reason than honoring him. I think he'll meet you there in relationship with you. He'll work with you, but I don't believe that's the kind of gift that he desires. I know we're kind of at a crossroads in terms of giving for our church, so maybe this isn't the time to say this. But if your motivation for giving an offering on Sunday morning is to find favor with God, or if it's because you're paying your 10% tax for being a subject in his kingdom, I'm not sure that's the kind of gift that he desires. We have to examine our motives in why we do things in relationship with God. Trust me, when I sat down to study this week, I wasn't shooting for giving, okay? That's where we landed. 
If you're bringing a gift for the purpose of honoring God because that's what you wanna do, because that's what your heart desires, it's to honor him, that's fantastic. And that's the kind of gift that I think touches the heart of God. And that's the kind of gift I think that we can expect when we understand our identity as his righteous children. And understanding that is to understand that we have all the favor that God could ever pour on us right now, right? As a perfect father, he's, uh, he's pouring that out on us as, his, as a perfect father who looks at his children who have been made right in him. So we can expect that when we understand our identity in him. But if this is a tribute tax that you have to pay in order to avoid the heavy hand of God, a heavy hand of a king, or a bribery to gift to, to garner some favor in your life, I think that motive has to be examined. It has to be examined. And let's be honest, that's probably the motivation of 90% of the church, right? I'm talking big C church. We say, did you give your tithe? Well, a tithe is a required minimum amount, right? Even in the old, under the old covenant, that was what was required of Israel as a part of the law. But I don't think that's what Jesus came for at all. Jesus came to establish something new. He came to establish something unheard of. Listen, other kings, other gods might be interested in you being their subject and you being at their service because they deserve it because they're your ruler, because they've conquered your territory and you owe them. But I do not believe Jesus came to gain subjects who will pay tribute to him. If that's what Jesus wanted as a king, then why did he come as a baby where the only people that knew about him were a ragtag group of shepherds and some foreign, probably pagan men from the East? Why is that the way he came? If, 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 he, wanted, if he was just trying to gain subjects, what was that about? And I think the way we understand the nature of this king, the nature of kingship, of the kingship of Jesus, it's gonna determine the way we approach him with our gifts and just how we approach him in general, right? I think the Magi were pure in their motives. I really do. I really believe they were pure in their motives of bringing their gifts. They wanted to honor him. They wanted to worship him. That's what happened when, when they saw him, right? but I'm not, I'm not convinced, I don't believe they understood the nature of this king that they were visiting. Because here's the reversal of this whole story. This king didn't come to get any gifts. That's not what he came for. This king came as the gift himself. You know all those times later on in Jesus's ministry when people would misunderstand who he was and why he came and what he was about? I think this is the first of those kind of incidences, okay? Now hear me. He is the king of kings. And he is worthy and deserving of all worship and all glory and all tribute and all the gifts that we could possibly muster on this earth. But Jesus didn't come for any of that. He came to be the gift that none on this earth deserved. 
Jesus came, get this, you ready for this? Jesus came so that we, you and I, and all the bride of Christ could be joint heirs with him in his father's kingdom. What king does that? What king does that? What king leaves his throne to live among the people and die so that the people can come live in the palace with his dad? What king? None. There has never been and never will be another king like this. He is a king like no other. He came knowing full well who he was, knowing full well that he is worthy of all glory and all power and all honor. It is unquestionable as to whether he deserves it. But he didn't come asking or looking for any of that. At Christmas, we sing the carol, O come, let us adore him. When he came not to be adored, but because he adores you. Jesus' birth, death, and resurrection was 100% about you. Can you believe that? Are you ready for another reversal? When you get that, when you grasp that understanding, that he 100% came for you, not for himself, not for his own glory, not to earn the praise of the people, not to be crowned the king of the world, not to be honored and paid tribute, not to be lifted up except to be lifted on a cross. But when you get that he came 100% for you and your redemption and your righteousness, here's the reversal. The only thing it does when you grasp that When you allow that truth to worship uh, to wash over you, all it does is leave you in awe of him. It does not build you up and make you think that, that you must be so great that he came to die for you because you deserved it. It doesn't make you a spoiled child who throws a tantrum when you don't get what you want to realize that Jesus the king came not to be honored but to be killed and raised again for the sole purpose of your redemption is to be left in a place of gratitude and honor and worship unlike anything you could ever reach by just thinking, oh, he's a king, so he deserves it. The king who knew no sin became sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God. And so the king whose purpose was not to come and to be honored and worshiped, but to become as his creation and be killed by them and raised from the dead to redeem his creation, the son of man who came not to be served, but to serve is now worshiped all the more. See, I believe when we rightly understand our identity in Christ, and this is what we talk about all the time in this church, so don't tune out. But when we rightly understand our identity in Christ as fully righteous children of God right now in real time who were made that way by nothing other than his sacrifice. When we understand that, not just with our head, but when we understand it here in our heart, when we actually believe it, that is the foundation for real growth and maturity in relationship with God for every part of my life. Okay? For every part of my life. 
So if we're talking about giving, when I give, I can give out of a heart to honor this king who is a king like no other because he's more than just a king that I'm subject to or a king that I'm trying to impress. He's my daddy and he's the one who is responsible for bringing me home. That's a level of genuine honor and worship that can't be found when he's just a God who deserves it. So I worship him. It's the foundation Identity and understanding of our identity and who we are is the foundation of maturity for every part of my life. Prayer, if we're talking about prayer, prayer becomes an ongoing conversation with the perfect father who is never too busy to listen. And he's never too ready to jump in and suggest what I need to do to fix the situation. He listens and he hears my heart. Prayer is communion with the spirit that lives in me where words aren't even necessary. Rather than a babbling on in a, in, in, on a street corner in long and gl- with long and glorious language that would make Shakespeare blush, right? right? When you have a right understanding of your identity in Christ, ministry happens through you, out of you, out of who you are and within the natural circle of people that you come into contact with, it comes out of the gifts and the talents and the interests and the personality and the hobbies that you find yourself in and that God designed in you rather than having to fit the form of something that somebody else decides works because it worked for them. In that place, you talk about your father with people not because you have to or you have a need to convert somebody to your beliefs, but because you can't stop talking about what he's done in your life. And that's contagious when people see it in genuineness. A right understanding of my actual identity in Christ is the foundation for experiencing God's rest in my life right now. Right now. And that right understanding of identity in Christ comes with the right understanding of what he came to accomplish. And that started with this little baby who came not to get the gifts and to be adored, but to be the gift because he adores you. I wanna close with this idea as the band comes back up. I wanna close with this picture, all right? This is 100% my imagination, okay? But I think it's very plausible. And I want you to use your imagination. Go back to the scene with the Magi that you picture. Put yourself there, okay? Put yourself there. And as you're imagining this, um, it might be helpful to know what a two-year-old is like. And Hannah Smither back there is, is two, right? So picture a Jesus about that size, okay? Close your eyes. You're there with the Magi. You're one of the Magi, okay? And you come and you approach this king, a two-year-old Jesus. You've come with a lot of people, right? 
You're in this entourage. You've got these chests of gold, these pottery vessels that are full of perfume. You've come to honor and to worship this king who's been born to worship. And you do worship. You knock on the door. Joseph answers the door. Mary and Jesus are kind of in the background behind him. They come outside. There's too many of you to go inside. And when they come outside, you see Jesus, the King Jesus. You bow down and you worship. You kneel before him and you worship. But instead of basking in your worship, this little toddler waddles up to you. While you're still on your knees, he doesn't say anything, but you can look. He looks deep into your eyes and his brown eyes, two-year-old brown eyes meet your, your eyes. And you see something in those two-year-old eyes that are far beyond that age. You see warmth, you see understanding, you see a deep love. All the gold and the frankincense and the myrrh, it's all there, it's all around you. He doesn't give it a second look. He passes by it all to get to you. And now meeting your eyes, with you kneeling on the ground and him standing in front of you, he holds out his hands and he says, up. <laughs> up. The king of the universe. The word who was at the beginning, who by him and through him, all things were made. Nothing was, was made that is made without him. Nothing. And this is what he came for to be with you in this intimate moment. So you pick him up. The creator of the universe, you pick him up and he wraps his tiny little arms around your neck and he rests his head on your shoulder and he closes his eyes. This is for you. This is for you. This is why he came, so he could wrap his arms around you in an intimate relationship, not because you brought him your best or you showered him with gifts, but because this is what he wants with you and what he has always wanted with you. Yeah. It's not glittery. It's not flashy. Often it's dirty and it's messy. It's not filled with false Christmas cheer because... That's what you're supposed to be in the most wonderful time of the year. But it's quiet, it's intimate, and it's rest. In the arms of the king. That kind of genuine relationship is the only reason he came. And it is 100% available to you right now. right now. I don't know what you need today. I don't know why you came to church. Maybe it was a tribute tax. I don't know. But I know what he's interested with you. I know he's interested in wrapping his arms around your neck, resting his head on your shoulder, and I don't think he's too big to take that role with you, right? Yeah, he's the king of the universe, but he came as a baby once, right? Maybe you need from a, a hug from a baby Jesus this morning, from a toddler Jesus. That sounds silly, I get it. 
He'll meet you there. He'll meet you there. I don't know what you need this morning, but I know that he loves you. I know that he came for you. He didn't come to be adored by you. He came for you. Our response is nothing but adoration and worship. But it comes because he came for us, for you. Why don't y'all stand on back up to your feet? We're going to keep singing. Got a couple more songs we're going to worship with this morning. If you need prayer, I'm going to go to the back. I'll be at the back. Um, I'd love to pray with you. If you want to pray for somebody, move and pray for somebody. There's no reason to stay in your spot. If you need prayer from somebody and you don't want to come back to me, turn to the person behind you. They'll pray for you too, right? We believe that the Spirit is in every single believer and there's nothing special about me or anybody else, right? So let's pray with one another, worship with one another.